How do you not get up and dance listening to that music? I tell you. Welcome back. It's Kevin Pollack, your host of my Mrs. Maisel Pod. Thanks so much for coming back. Have you told everyone you've ever met? Have you done that for me? You know, I've requested it many times now. So if you haven't, it seems like a pushback, a purposeful pushback on your part. I jest. How are you? How you been? No, no, no. You go. Tell me. Uh, write to me and let me know how you're doing. My Mrs. Maisel at gmail.com. Reading through so many of your emails brings me tremendous joy. I'm going to answer uh, one of them uh, later in, in, the, uh, in the podcast. Stay tuned for that. Write to my Mrs. Maisel at gmail.com. Write, review, subscribe. Those are the three options. Please take them all. Um, did you uh, dial up the season finale, season two finale, in order to prepare for this particular episode with my guest, Leroy McLean? Ah, uh, yes, he is exceptionally talented um, and brings a very special um, uh, take on things to this podcast as we break down um, his involvement in the show as well as uh, his um, working on it and, and, and also, of course, the season finale of season two. Season two, episode 10. Um, without any further ado, damn it, let's just get to it. What are we waiting for? Why am I yammering? Leroy McLean. <laughs> it came around just at the right time, very unexpectedly and just at the right time. Not to like bring this interview down from the very beginning, but I'd lost my dad Ugh. a month prior, uh, like in the beginning of July in uh, 2018. And, um, you know, went through that whole process. I was I was down in Texas probably for about a month. Came back to New York and um, was you know I was feeling kind of you know kind of lost, kind of empty. And um, I get this audition. The second audition I had right when I got back was for the show called The Marvelous Mrs. Mabel. Mm. And I had not seen the first season at that point. I become quite aware of it i'd seen it uh read about it so this audition came through and it was for this you know world-renowned pop singer in the 50s and so i jumped at the chance not because i am indeed uh, a world-renowned pop star but just because it's always been a time period that i've always been really interested in it uh -huh. reminds me of my dad oh wow yeah. And uh, yeah, I've just always felt comfortable in, you know, playing period. And it was great. It was that audition was exactly what I needed. It was escapism allowed me to get out of my head. I went in and did this first audition for Cindy Tolan. And a couple of days later, um, they're like, great. We want you to meet Amy and Dan mm -hmm. at a place TBD. And so a couple of days, I think the following week, I went to, uh, it was where, wherever the, the telephone was being filmed, the arthritis telephone. Mm -hmm. um, it was somewhere in, like in, in the 50s. And it was like a ballroom, basically, a hotel. Walk in and Amy and Dan are sitting right there. And um, they're just, I think Amy was just like, what do you want to talk about? And I love it when people ask me that because I'm like, I don't know, let's talk about politics. Because and, and, I think, I don't know, I think Trump had said or done something to the point at the time that I was just, you know, fuming about. And so I just went into this like 15 minute tirade. And um, yeah, and it completely broke the ice. And then, you know, I uh, did the initial scenes. I did a brand new scene they'd written like just for that session. And 
you know, when it works, it works. When it feels good, it feels good. And it felt good. They knew going in, it was understood that you would, in fact, not be perfectly singing. Yeah, I made that. <laughs> I made that perfectly clear. I made sure that my reps asked that when the audition came through initially. Yeah. Like, just make sure they know that I am clear that I'm about as far away from like a world renowned pop star as you can get. And but your lip syncing abilities. Oh, let's talk about that. You know what? It's a skill I did not even know I had. I've never How done about it. Before. And I got really, it was just really fortuitous when I, when after I got the job and they were like, two days later, yeah, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be uh, filming the song for, you know, episode nine. And if you want to, just drop by the recording session. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh okay. So I, I go to the recording session. It's like an orchestra, full orchestra. Sure, sure, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're tuning up. And of course, I start to like pee my pants. I'm like, this is, I'm in over my head. This is crazy. There's all these people here. And then in comes somebody that I had met at an audition, like maybe five, six years prior for some film. And it was Darius Dahas. Wow the voice of Shy Baldwin. And since I'd already knew him, it just, it made me feel instantly at ease. I just sat and I watched him, watched how his mouth moved. Yeah. And I just treated it like Shakespeare, like how, you know, we were trained to do it at, at drama school, like literally just, you know, because with Shakespeare, it's all about, you know, when you take the breath, take the breath at the end of the line. And it's very kind of structured. And so in watching him sing, I was just like, oh, I'm noticing there's a difference between the way the lyric is written on the page and where he just naturally takes his breath. So then I basically just wrote out, rewrote the lyrics song according to Darius's breathing patterns. Hmm. So that allowed me, that created like an, an alternative structure to the song and yeah. to ha how to learn it. It was a process that just, it worked over and over and over and over and over again. And so, hey, I, I had no idea. I had no idea that I would... uh I'd be good at lip syncing, but I kind of developed my own little process there. It's definitely helpful that you got to go to that session. My goodness. Oh, yeah. Had I just shown up on set and they cue the music in. You know how it is on set. It's kind of like something's changed. You just got to go with it. You got to like be there and be available. And I think that really helped being in the recording session because I think after a couple of takes at the telephone, they wanted to, you know, cut a certain section of the song and kind of put two pieces together that aren't meant to be together. And thank goodness mm. that like I had it in my head and his breathing patterns in my head. So I was able just to kind of instantly kind of excise that section of the song and it worked. So yeah, it was oh, like it geniusly worked. And yeah, how fortuitous that you were a skilled actor who had done his you know, rehearsal time on your own and, and memorization and all that. And yeah, you prepare, 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 and then get ready for changes, right? Exactly. I mean, and also too, I'm not going to lie, like knowing that A, it's, it's comedy and B, knowing who is in the cast. Yeah. I was just like, I better do everything I can, at least put myself in the ballpark sure. of everybody else. And, you know, preparation just makes me feel more comfortable so that I can be free and open. So... Oh my goodness, yes. That's <laughs> what I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and your work at the telethon, specifically in the restroom, right? Yeah. Oh, so tell me whatever you'd like to about that scene in a previous episode. Rachel, 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 Rachel. I have to say. Yeah. 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 I think that was the first, that was literally, if I remember rightly, I think we shot that before I actually did the song, but. She is such a brilliant ambassador for the show. 
And I think she was the first cast member I met. Right. And, you know, she just has, Rachel just has this, this quality about her. It's just like instantly, it just puts you at ease. It's, and it makes you feel, I felt welcomed. It just relaxed me completely. And so going into that scene, we talked a little bit beforehand about what it is that we find intriguing about one another, what Shai finds intriguing about Midge and and vice versa, and just keeping that in mind and then just kind of running with it. And so we did a little uh, rehearsal, but then we just instantly went into shooting. I think that helped because they are two strangers, right? So we didn't want to get too comfortable. And that rhythm, that famous Maisel rhythm, uh, it was, it's just like get on the train or, you know, get run over by it. And get on board or get the fuck out of the way. Exactly. And that's the, and what's, I think is genius about that, about the speed is that like, it actually makes it easier. It makes, Mm. it makes the job of acting easier because you don't have time to think between each line or to, you know, massage over massage things. Right. Right. You're riding a wave and, you know, from someone that actually comes from the background of doing a lot of, you know, drama prior to this, mm-hmm. it kind of got me out of my bag of tricks. I kind of just had to, Yeah, like, it's like jumping out of a plane, right? With a parachute and you just go. And so, you know, just hearing Rachel's pace yeah. with which she was speaking. And, and of course, I went after I got it, the job, I, you know, I, I watched all of the first season. And so I kind of knew what I was in for that first scene begins and ends for me with Rachel Brosnahan and how welcoming and at ease she put me. It was just, you couldn't have asked. I could not have asked for a better scenario in which to start the journey. Yeah. Well, and, all of us are embraced by the warmth and the leadership also. And the, yeah. And the caring yeah. of Rachel. Uh, in terms of every member of the cast and crew, she's just remarkable. And yeah. she's made it a mission. You know, it's in her naturally, but also she works at it. Yeah. Yeah. And um what a great day scene one for you in yeah. in that then, <laughs> two of you. I had to, you know, I think maybe I don't know how many episodes, whether it was a full season, but many episodes before I got a scene with just me and Rachel. Yeah. And I've only had a couple. Yeah. And um they're just little tiny extra special. Yeah, right. And it's also, I, I remember that first day because they also said like, oh, yeah. And like after you shoot this on like the dinner break or, you know, we're just going to do like a, a read through of episode 10. Mm-hmm. I had no <laughs> I had no idea of what a Maisel read through table read. <laughs> yes, I had no idea what a production. But you had been to a very expensive wedding before, hadn't you? <laughs> once, or, once or twice so that's exactly i never forget that feeling of when i turned the corner into the, and saw all of these yeah. people and then it's like oh now you get to cold read comedy with lots of you and tony and it's just that it was <laughs> talk about baptism by fire i mean it was it was oh. it was exhilarating but like absolutely terrifying i don't think i knew it was a cold read for you that day and i certainly couldn't tell Oh, yeah, yeah. Brian, that first, when I sat down and the script for 10, that was the first time I'd even seen it. Well, then maybe it was a blessing that it was only one scene. The single most impactful scene, not only in the episode, but of the season. <laughs> and as it turns out, which we'll get to, changes Midge's life forever. Yeah. Yeah, let's jump in. So it's season two, season finale, episode 10, 
titled All Alone, written and directed by our very own Amy Sherman Palladino. All Alone. Oof. I mean, you know, from a writer's standpoint, I always like to analyze, but the decision for the season finale to feature a actual Lenny Bruce performance on Steve Allen, which we'll get to, working into the title because of the meaning of this journey that Midge is going to go on for her life and career, falling all under the bigger picture heading, which is careful what you wish. Mm-hmm. And this season we've had with the artist, the drunk artist, we've had these moments where she's getting a little bit of an education as to what this wish fulfillment might be. But in this episode, it all comes to a celebratory and heartbreaking yeah. resolve. Yeah. yeah. So it begins in a psychic's, I'm going to say, venue, home, office, dining room. Scam room. <laughs> yeah, Rose returns to the psychic, but it's a different one. Mm-hmm. Character's name is Cosma, portrayed by the Tony Award winning Katrina Lenk. Tony Award winning from The Band's Visit, where our very own Tony Shalhoub co-starred and also won a Tony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rose doesn't seem too surprised that it's a different psychic, but... Um, Who's carrying a box of pizza and a slice? Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you enjoy rewatching this episode? Because you probably hadn't seen it in a couple, few years. Yeah, I have not. I had it had been it's been a good couple of years. I think actually the last time that I watched the episode um, was during 2020. The sweet sweet pandemic. Yeah, and it was we were doing this like live tweet of things. Yeah of episodes in season three. And so I wanted to go back and watch uh-huh. two to kind of just like ramp back into it for myself. And that was the last time that I'd seen all alone. I'd seen 10. And I got to say, like, you know, I'm a person who writes, who likes writing. I have to say the in particular, like the structure of this episode, the way it is, it's written, the way it's put together, I think is just genius. It's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And like just rewatching it yesterday, just again, I was like, wow, this is this is genius the way it's structured and, and everybody's there's so many themes of like, you know, transition, change, fate, trying to, you know, Rose seems to find herself. She's, you know, the in this scene, what Cosma is, she's you see Rose basically. <laughs> when Cosmo is basically reading her, what would you say? Is like telling her of, of, of the future or, or whatever, yeah. reading the tea leaves with no teacup and no leaves or whatever, just yeah. like staring at her. And she's, she's seeing these visions of, you know, a woman and speaking for uh, an audience. And so you, Rose takes all of that it, to mean that, oh, we're seeing, you know, she's seeing this wedding. Wedding. Where it, it's clearly, especially after she leaves and we're left with just Cosmo saying, oh, why would you wear like a, I think she's like a black cocktail dress to a wedding? Yeah. That just kind of, for me, it, it sets up the entire yeah. episode thematically. And yeah. uh, it gets better. It gets better every time I watch it. Every time I yeah. see it. And then from the little title sting. We're in a flashback at the City Spoon, and Midge is back in her blonde hair, and she and Joel are 
at the counter discussing their night out and their many nights out and where is this going sort of thing. He slides a ring box down the length of the coffee shop counter and it's a ring and she plays coy. I mean, that all is played out beautifully. And yeah. Camera work again. Jim McConkey is incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, come on. David Mullen's cinematography through all these scenes and even the psychics locales, you know. Yeah. The visual is just exceptional every time. And then the music in the background and then yeah. the three black singers come in. Yeah. We were just at your show. I mean, the tie-ins and the tip of the hat and the, you know, it's just so rich. Yeah. Then, you know, with the dance outside in the street and that, that i'm just gonna go like, stand in traffic he said <laughs> yeah you won't say yes i was like yeah try doing that in 2022 on that same street <laughs> i don't think joe would be uh standing no no for very long. <laughs> it's yeah cool. and somehow it's in its magical way we're forgiving leap of faith such as that and especially with the verbal banter exchange between them that People are starting to gather out in front of the City Spoon Diner to witness. And did Marguerite Derricks do the choreography? I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, um, yeah it's just why not? Why wouldn't she? I mean, because yeah. it's, it's clearly, clearly choreographed yeah. beautifully yeah. and specifically and uh, well executed both by our actors and director. And Jim McConkey with that camera, man. Yeah, it's just pretty amazing and how Midge you know, loves that particular musical. Yeah. King and I, and did she say we had to take dance classes or something? I don't know. Yeah, she, I know she said what, they went and saw it, like what, three, yeah. three times, five times, multiple, multiple times. times. Yeah. And yeah. they eventually do the waltz. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about like just the talents of everybody involved, but I, I like, I don't know if Rachel has a dance background or if it just, <laughs> it just looks so effortless. It looks like they certainly attended classes. It does, right? Yeah, I mean, especially yeah. I mean, he, he's just like, uh, this next part is probably going to be terrible. And then he proceeds to do a pretty perfect lift. Yeah, exactly. Spin. <laughs> I'll have to ask Zeke and, and Rachel, but it's fairly easy to assume based on the history of how this show is made. The choreographer was there and there was either lessons beforehand where Rachel and Michael are going to rehearsals during lunch or whatever to specifically work on it. This wasn't something that was worked out on the set. It's pretty safe to assume. Yeah. Too well executed. Yeah. Without possibility. <laughs> it's just magical and beautiful. And yeah. So well done. And just a reminder of the rich nature of the storytelling. Yeah. And then back to the present time, back then in the Weissman apartment, where Midge wakes up and she hears the sounds of Benjamin getting the third degree in Abe's home office as he's answering the Spanish Inquisition <laughs> of wanting to uh, get miriam's hand in marriage and man oh man the paces you know again from the writer's standpoint if you think about what are the possible things that could come up and then let's exaggerate them to the nth <laughs> in the capable hands of the ridiculous and uh, formerly mentioned tony award-winning tony Shalhoub. <laughs> and zach levi's timing also impeccable oh yeah the banter between them the comedy duo yeah just astonishing yeah, and that rhythm, and that's just, and you just it, it's clear just looking at two artists that are just, they're so just confident in yeah. you know, their abilities to not only, you know, to play off of anyone and anything, 
And it's it's arresting. It, it's great. It's great to see that. And you know, all the, I think he has like there's like multiple folders of information that. Oh that, yeah. <laughs> and even that's not entirely enough to satisfy Abe. No, there's medical records. There's book lists that he's enjoyed reading. There's baseball teams, cat or a dog person. Very important. I mean, the litany really is impressive. Yeah. Even for Abe Weissman. Yeah. And hilarious. Off to Maisel and Roth we go. Joel, Mrs. Moskowitz, and Moish. Joel's in the vortex of the hustle and big-time tussle bustle of the family garment factory. Moish even comes in and busts some balls, paying most attention to the children. And Joel gets a sniff that Mommy has a new friend and eventually joins Ethan in the bathroom while Ethan's attempting to use the urinal. And he, Joel, wants to know a little bit more about Mommy's friend and where they met. And that candle is lit. And yeah, again, the camera work and the cinematography and the performances. Uh, yeah. Right in step. And writing, you know, the banter continues in terms of these characters' actual deep dive feelings and mm -hmm. relationships to each other. Yeah. And even Ethan's going on his, like, little journey. With, yeah. you know, becoming a man, becoming yeah, a, right. a self-possessed peer. Yeah, I can do this on my own, Daddy. Well, you got to stop peeing on the walls. Let's start there. <laughs> and the ceiling, yeah. I think he said. Yeah. Pretty great. Off to the Weissman home, Midge, Rose, and Abe. Midge and Rose are lounging in the living room, looking through some wedding magazines. Abe comes home, heads to the kitchen for his sandwich. Midge joins him there and is at him about his decision regarding Benjamin. And will he allow Benjamin to be your husband? Negotiation isn't pretty. It gets worse when Abe decides to grill her about what she said about her father in her act while performing in D.C., where he was told by the Bell Labs peeps she shared government secrets. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Again, the detail of that kitchen, kudos to set design, set deck, Bill Groom's team. Yeah. Down to the sandwich. Props. Oh. Big props to props on that sandwich, man. Yes. <laughs> Look, Jewy and from, fresh from the deli, yeah. <laughs> Damn good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all that attention to detail. And then those two actors. Great yeah. And, and then, of course, the, like the payoff that you, the mirror, right, in a way of that scene that takes place mm -hmm. towards the very end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Again, structurally. Yeah. It's genius. It's great, you know, because it's the wants of, each character are completely flip-flop between right. that first and then the, the later scene. Yeah. Yeah. And the growing concern of how her career is affecting everyone else. And yeah. While she's on this myopic, fast-moving journey. Yeah. A lot of victims oh. or casualties uh, along Midge's journey to that, right? No, one, no one's safe. No. <laughs> when it comes to comedy. Kicking ass and leaving bodies. <laughs> yeah. Off to the gaslight where Susie and Jackie have a very funny fight about his inability to fix the chair. Oh, wait, he was a carpenter. That killed me. Yeah. But really, it's about how he doesn't do anything, including answering the phone, which she eventually does as it's ringing. And it's a woman letting Susie know that Sophie Lennon is summoning her to her home. Please eat. Lunch will not be served. You know, just little bonbons like that. Susie hangs up and, you know, explains what it was about. Jackie says, you got to go. And that whole exchange, not going, you got to go eat shit. You know, this is what a manager does. And it's Susie's education. It's Susie's journey. Yeah. That we're privy to now. You got to eat shit. A lot of, a lot of it, piles of it. If you took 
a pack of wolves with stomach issues, locked them in your apartment for a month and came home with a spoon. That's the amount of shit I'm talking about. <laughs> so specific. A lot of shit. <laughs> so specific. Uh, beautifully performed by our players, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like you already like mentioned the line, but like the whole chair carpentry conversation. And then when he yeah. realizes, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, oh, I am a carpenter. Oh, yeah. So I can do it. Right. It's comedy gold. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> Brian Tarantino, want to give a shout out to his work in that scene and the series. Big up. He's resting peacefully somewhere. Yeah. His contributions to the show are always so specific and so hilarious. And the scene was just a beautiful reminder of his yeah. brilliance that he brought to the show. Yeah. Onward to Joel's apartment at Maisel and Roth. Reminded that, yes, he set up digs at Maisel and Roth, just off of his office there. Midge is late picking up the kids, but really has Joel on edge. What has Joel on edge eventually revealed that he knows she let a man meet my kids without me knowing. Those are my children, Midge. I have a right to know. That whole fight yeah. is uh, so very typical of a couple that are going through this sort of split and yeah. I thought we were playing nice, you know, mm -hmm. and here are these two great actors going at each other with such great dramatic intensity. Yeah. Really representing each side of this. Yeah. And so layered on that. Cause the, yeah, the love is, that's the heartbreaking thing is that the love is still there, right? It's there and it's, it's setting there. us up. It's setting us up for something that might be coming later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in this case, we go right to the park late at night. Joel and Archie drunk, hitting baseballs. There's a cooler, an old-fashioned cooler of beers, in keeping with the times, and two baskets of baseballs. And they are blowing off steam about kids and fathering. And uh, it's hilarious. And I remember Michael saying that that scene ended up being a lot or all shot in a one in such a way that they had to hit baseballs directly at Jim McConkin's steady cam who was going around, <laughs> around them. And you can kind of see it. And eventually in post, they, some of the baseballs are, are added okay. to, to not kill Jim McConkie. <laughs> but it's so seamless and so great. And Yeah. And can we talk too about like this, the, the technical nature, like yeah. the, first of all, they're like the seamless, like hitting. So I'm just like, I don't know if I, if, if I were either of these characters in this scene, I mean, I would be so nervous about, like, not hitting the ball. Yeah, yeah. I'll also ask everyone to assume there were many, many takes because of that very factor. But you could tell from Joel Johnstone's batting style, the fella played. Yeah. He yeah. has a such a level, structured swing that definitely came from the right coach instructions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time practicing and on the field actually playing. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Mikey, bless his soul, Porky, <laughs> he's, you know, Jewish kid. We sell concession as well <laughs> at the ball game. We got t shirts. We got, <laughs> we're not playing. <laughs> but it's a great scene. At the end of it, Joel finds his dream. You know what? He finds his dream through this drunken, sweaty mess. I want to open a club. Mm. And that future is set. Yeah. And then we just cut beautifully to the horribly fluorescent lit hallway at Bell Labs as Abe Weissman strolls, no, nay, struts 
He's a man on a, with a purpose, and we can tell by the way he's walking. And he finds his man, Charles, there at Bell Labs and demands a meeting in the secure room where they are joined by three others, of course, each one named and explained. Yes. One of which I'd like to add uh, just happened to be a classmate of mine from the Yale School of Drama. We were in the same class, James Wood Reynolds. If you ask me which character would have been. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Their names were said so quickly. <laughs> but, yes. And of course, David Aaron Baker playing Charles who's uh, been uh, several episodes and will be a guest on the podcast. Yeah, it really does well. Yeah. Really does well. And um, yeah, spectacular. Yeah. And that whole scene of the buzzing in and the buzzing out. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's all about Egg taking his stand. No, no, I've got the straight skinny. You will not threaten my family. You will not. And really sort of lays down, he's not going to take it. They disagree. Loose lips, sink ships. I'm familiar with the term, Abe says. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, again, so specific. You have no doubt where you are Yeah, within the bowels of Bell Labs in this secure room, mm -hmm. a.k.a. soundstage in Steiner Studios. And Steiner Studios. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, Abe stands and gives that grand speech. I will punch you in the nose. It will not hurt. I'm not a strong man, but you will be ashamed. You were punched by a not strong man. Yeah, it's just so great. The writing's just yeah. so great. And in Tony's hand, my God. Uh, he owns me. He's just, I've said it over and over. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. Still, yeah. Kills, 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 kills me. And then we have a hospital room, private hospital room for Imogene, who's just given birth to her new daughter, who it's revealed is in the sliding drawer right next to her <laughs> bed. And what a little gem. Yeah. I don't care if it was true. I don't care if it was the way they did things. Yeah. I just know that Amy Sherman Palladino's brain made it happen. And it yeah. was visually stunning. And I will find out eventually what it took to actually design and create and build and execute that perfect yeah. little sliding drawer right next to her bed. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you knew if that was protocol or not, <laughs> but it's, it just works. Yeah. It just, it just works. Just, it fits the scene. It fits the mood it's just it's like you said it's like a genius touch i'm gonna to make note is the sliding drawer protocol and then in the wraparound what i record later uh -huh. i will let people know yeah it's a great exchange about motherhood and third child archie's asleep on the chair he goes to get coffee he's completely out of it he knows the name he doesn't know the name we had a daughter Still a little drunk, I have a feeling. And then the Imogene Midge connection is, you know, rekindled. We really get a sense of these two great friends. Yeah. Bailey Dion once again doing tremendous work. And uh, thanks to Donna in the greatest outfit anyone's ever worn in bed <laughs> after giving birth. <laughs> Off to the Mintowed Comedy Club. Midge and Susie at the bar watching a comic on before Midge, who's doing well with the standard fair material of the day. Susie Pep talks Midge up as Bobby, the booker and MC of the joint, comes by to prompt her. She's going on next, but also warn her. Midge takes the stage and is doing great with the female members of the audience as she talks about her lady parts and pregnancy in specific, having just come from her friend Imogene's hospital room. And that's Midge's style, you know? She goes on stage and she talks about her day, and that stream of conscious stand-up material just flows in the moment. And Rachel's delivery of it is flawless. Yeah. But she said pregnant. 
on stage. And soon into this act, Bobby, the booker and MC, bounds on stage. Okay, thanks very much. It's <laughs> name with the yeah, and uh, away she goes. And then yeah. they have words afterwards, and she's not happy. And then she kind of takes it out on Susie a little bit. You need to be my better manager. And it's kind of a great scene, once again, about the relationship with the manager and the talent. Where are we going with this? What this means? It's an education for both of them on every outing. Yeah. And we get to see it in real time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, really nice. And then Midge is walking down the street. It starts to rain. She ducks under an awning, which is attached to the bar. The Dublin House Bar looks inside, and what are the chances at the bar? Lenny <laughs> Bros. She surprises him. They have drinks, trade bemoans. We get a better glimpse into what Lenny has been going through at that particular moment in his career in terms of where he's not welcome and where there's a warrant for his arrest. I think Chicago is the latest. And then he shares that Steve Allen, who's hosting The Tonight Show at the time, has offered him a chance to make nice the following night by appearing on the show. And Midge offers, and it's accepted that her good luck charm will be present at the TV taping the following night. I love that at the start of the scene, we found a few more dollars that fell out of Bezos' pocket and paid for the Sinatra tune, One for My Baby. Just so perfect in so many ways to set up the scene and the texture and the ambiance of that bar. And, yeah. And the lonely nature of these two lone wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it feels like for Midge, it's another, in a way, education, right? Or kind of like a glimpse into, as we were talking about before, this thing that she wants. Yeah. Again, this is a glimpse into like, well, this is what it looks like. This is one of the ways that it can turn out, you know? Yeah. Once again, beautifully articulated and, yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. Off to Sophia Lennon's, uh, I'm going to say Park Avenue Mansion. It's got to be. Fifth Avenue, Park Avenue. Hugh. Yeah. Susie is shown in by Sophie's Major Domo Dawes, beautifully portrayed once again by Stephen Houck. Susie cracks wise as Sophie spills her story of woe about being dramatically trained and stuck in the fat suit of her design, yeah. leading to represent me, Susie. And it's such a big turn and big moment. I don't think anyone sees it coming. I certainly didn't. Yeah. That all of this is leading to I want you to represent me. And the design of why that this dramatic thing and she wants to yeah. be on the boards and respected as an actress and you just... You know, I mean, having spent a world in the trenches of stand-up, I have a instinct and gut reaction to this moment the first time I read it and saw it, which is, oh, no. <laughs> no, you're stuck in that fat suit, lady. And that's, I mean, and that it's that, what I love about what you learn in this scene about Sophie Lennon. Because I wonder that, like, sometimes you look at people that are known for a certain thing, like they're known for comedy. But deep down inside, they feel that they are, as Sophie says, like, head a gobbler or Cleopatra or whatever. And that's like a mini tragedy in and of itself, right? Like if that's where you feel at home, yet you've done this one thing and it catches fire. So you've kind of fashioned your own prison in a, in, in a yes. way. Yes. Yeah. And I've known comedians throughout my life and career that created bigger than life characters, personas on stage that they couldn't break out of. Yeah. It is a care for what you wish also. Yet another version and yeah. another lesson. Yeah. So, yeah, back at the Weissman apartment for the all-important moment. Midge is on the phone first with Benjamin, who's at the hospital being called off to surgery, and that's a great exchange, follow-up, how things were going. 
Yeah. She hangs up for no more than a few beats, and then the phone rings, and it's Shab Baldwin, <laughs> someone who wants to change her life. Yeah, who threw a chance encounter in that bathroom. Yep. And when you shot your side of the conversation, well, first of all, in keeping with the way they do things in the Maisel universe, I assume you were brought in to do off-camera lines on the day they were shooting Rachel's coverage. Yeah. She was brought in to be off-camera reading. Yeah, well, we yeah, because we shot it all kind of those, like the coverage, like back-to-back. Yeah. So Really? Well, actually, no. Wait, are you talking about of the phone call or of Just the, the phone call. Yeah, yeah. So that was it. Yeah, that was a separate. Yeah, I think both I and Zach were doing our coverage. Oh, right. Of our separate phone conversations. Those two sets were on the standard yeah. studios. Yeah, sound stages. Yeah. And it's a hotel room or his actual? Uh, hotel. Yeah, it's a hotel. Yeah, it's a hotel. Yeah. And it was what was great about kind of constructing the physical life of that scene. They asked me what I thought. Wow. Which is a great thing to be asked at the beginning of a journey with a character that you're going to continue playing and and one that you're literally just getting to know. And so it forced me to really think, uh, to do a lot of preloading. Like, who is this guy? Like, how does he relax? What does he consider to be, you know, luggage that he can't live without? So it's like, he's definitely, he's got to have booze. He's got to have booze and it's got to be brown. Yeah. So we did that. And then just a lot of kind of, uh, interest, you know, choreography bit like, like with the phone, like does he, it, with what hand do you pick it up so that like if, if, mm. if I'm trying to pour at the same time. And so then I'm like, oh, okay. Cause I, I, so I guess that means he's, I've decided he's right handed and just like little, just like, and so like in little details like that and kind of creating the world of just that phone call kind of informed. Yeah. Character wise for me. Right. Into season three. Yeah. So we, that was, we did that and, uh, at Steiner. Yep. And as you said before, Rachel was there. Yep. Um, which I think is such a great practice. I just have to say, cause I'm sure you've been in situations where, you know, you're reading with, you know, yeah. Yeah. somebody who's not that character it might be reading at a different yeah. speed, different intention or whatever. I just think that's, and it, it's also, it goes back to that family, that community type atmosphere. When you step into like the Maisel verse, you're like, oh, we're, we're taking care of one another. Right. And I love that. I'm a very communal. Yeah. I come from the theater. So I really dig that, you know? Right on. Well, it's a magical scene, and it is one that sets her on a path of no return. And it's a call, I will tell you, and I'm sure you've had them in show business. If you're lucky, there are a handful of these calls. But if you're lucky enough to just get one, that changes your life. You know the feeling. And people out of show business, we've all, you know, I think, we certainly all had the calls of devastating news, and hopefully most of you have had these calls of the exciting life, career, goals, path, changing phone yeah. calls. And it's so well played out and carried over to the next scene where Midge at Susie's apartment just yeah. barges in and we're going on a six-month tour. We did it. She's yeah. got a bottle of brown in hand. Mm-hmm. We're going to celebrate. And Susie says, I got something to tell you. Yeah. Just sense she wants to, but she doesn't. Yeah. It makes sense. This is a moment to celebrate. Yeah. And it was even surprising that she tries to broach the subject, but it made sense because we are informed in that moment that it's killing her. Yeah. And like you said, she wants to celebrate that win. 
Mm -hmm. right? You see her kind of make that decision, right? It's like, this is, all right, I'll tell you at some point, we'll deal with that at some point. But for now, let's just, let's celebrate this. And it's wonderful to see these characters get to celebrate Mm -hmm. an accomplishment, right? Because you see so many kind of knockbacks. And so it's great to see them in their kind of, you know, especially Midge and her kind of unbridled joy, childlike joy. And that's who she runs to celebrate with first. Yeah. And that that obviously says something too about the nature of their relationship. Exactly. Wife's an apartment. Midge arrives with shopping bags that she acquired for (laughs) the tour. Abe follows her into her bedroom as a closet, which is another reminder of what it is on the Upper West Side. Mm -hmm. For a gal like Midge in her soon-to-be former life, he shares that he's made a decision. She can marry Benjamin. And we're on her back, and she's bent down within the closet, putting some shoes away, perhaps, and she just freezes when he says that. And it's in that moment, not only for her, but I think for the audience. Oh, shit, right. Oh, shit, right. Yeah. I mean, the way this episode, again, as you mentioned and pointed out a few times, the design, where I think all of us as the audience had also forgotten. Yes. Somehow. Somehow we'd forgotten, got caught up in the excitement because yeah. it is what she's, you know, also Shy Baldwin's allowed her to leapfrog from the earlier struggling comedy club scene to you're about to go on a six month tour, three in Europe, three in the States. That wasn't even on anybody's mind that that was even fathomable and it just happened. And it was so huge. You were able to forget in a matter of minutes. Oh, shit. Yeah. Right. Benjamin. Mm hmm. And she doesn't say anything, and she just turns around while Abe is just rambling about his excitement and what, what is it? What? <laughs> Tony delivers that. Because <laughs> she hasn't spoken, and you just know, and he just knows it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't say anything again, and he just says, shit. <laughs> and then Rose comes in, and we hear her. And Abe says, do not, (laughs) do not say anything. Yeah. But Abe has to go out and he's got that scene in his home office with Rose about Bell Labs in Columbia. And I'm leaving, Mm. you know, he's got enough devastating news for her. He doesn't need Miriam's mission, (laughs) which is so crazy. You know, so yeah, Abe's just got his own shit. And it's just amazing to me that they separate these components, right? Yeah. And again, it's just performed and written and directed so perfectly that we're just moving along with the story. The next thing we know, we're at the Tonight Show. And Midge makes it in time to join Lenny backstage. And she's doing a different version of Tits Up Pep Talk. And we get a real sense of high end, you know, it's the Tonight Show, but it's an early form of it. And people watching, Mrs. Maisel television series aren't maybe all aware of what that backstage world right before you go out live in front of America is like. I can tell you, having been there many times, they captured it exceptionally well. I wasn't there with Steve Allen. I'm not that old, but I am old enough to be there many times with Johnny Carson. And yeah, yeah, even the nervous stagehand guy and Perry, excuse me, the character's name, stagehand. Yeah, just really great. And their relationship is further played out. And he's going to go out and make nice and show the world that he's okay. And then we move off to this cafe scene between Abe and Michael Kessler, the attorney that bailed Midge out earlier season. And um, Abe says, uh, 
I'm ready to start a new life that where it's the sort of new life where I'm going to need the right kind of lawyer. <laughs> I mean, it's such a way to let the audience know in terms of writing structure. Again, we saw him tell Rose. But how committed is he? Mm. Oh, I know. I'll put a scene in a coffee shop with the subversive lawyer to all mm -hmm. that we've already established. And Abe will make it clear he needs it. Yeah. I mean, beautiful foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. On oh, Abe's yeah. part as well, the, the wherewithal. I'm going to be in deep shit soon. I better get a lawyer first. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, we don't yeah. know what kind of deep shit. We don't know what his plan is. But we know in an instant because of this scene how serious it is. Exactly. And we, yeah, like you said, and we also know from that conversation with Rose, like that they're not going to have a place to live. And, you know, so everything is just literally up in the air. So we're completely. Yeah, that's right. She said Columbia owns our home. Exactly. So now, I mean, this decision is going to cost all of that comfort, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Good point. We weren't sure yeah. at the end of the previous scene when he comes to the realization that they own our home. If he was going to go through with it. And here we are again in a nanosecond. It's crystal clear. Yeah. And then we go to the Tonight Show where Steve Allen's at the piano and Lenny's on stage and he's singing all alone and it's got some stand-up banter within it. And I will encourage folks to go to YouTube because the actual episode of the Steve Allen Tonight Show with Lenny Bruce performing this song is there for you to A, be reminded of the brilliance of Lenny Bruce, B, be reminded of the brilliance of Luke Kirby portraying Lenny Bruce, and then three, be reminded of the brilliance of Amy Sherman Palladino and her team of department heads on how to execute a near shot-by-shot, moment-by-moment replica, as you'll see on YouTube, of the actual appearance. It's astonishing. It's profession. Yeah. And Luke Kirby, oh my. I think this was the one he won his Emmy for. I mean, this really was a career turn of a performance. Yeah. If you didn't know he was brilliant before yep. scene, there's no way that you can finish watching that scene and not know. Yeah. It's superb. And then Rachel's wordless, yeah. you know, aria that she's like singing while like watching and you just see. This is what it is. That realization just hit her. And not just the level of where she wants to be, not just all alone, right? All alone. And then that's played out in the very last scene when she goes to Joel's office at Maisel and Roth and first shares with him, I'm going to go on tour opening for Shyball for six months. And then that beautiful last moment. Yeah. I'm going to be all alone in my life and I realize this, I'm going to be all alone forever. Wait a minute, what? We're thinking as an office. <laughs> really? That's it? Benjamin's out? I'm out? <laughs> I mean, we thought so before, but and then, sure enough, she rushes into Joel's arms. I just want to be with someone who loves me. Even though we know Benjamin loves her. Yeah. In this moment. And it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You think it's because she's already kind of come to the conclusion in her yeah. mind that there's no way that, like, what the life that Benjamin wants and deserves. It's just they're mutually exclusive. There's no way I can. She felt she was in love. She was excited to marry him. Super excited. We saw her in her nightie in the hallway hiding <laughs> when Benjamin was going through the third degree. We know she wanted to marry him, but Amy Sherman Palladino just paints her into the perfect corner. 
How about six months on the road opening up for one of the biggest acts in the world? Three months in Europe, three months in the States. How's that sound? Remember that earlier scene where you were playing in the night, the comedy club? Mm. Eating shit, being rushed off stage? I'm going to give you the keys to the castle. Did you say something about marriage? <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah. The fact that she, she says that to Joe, right? Sean made the offer, and I didn't even think. Yeah. Yes, there's no debate. It was just, yeah, I want that. Five-minute phone call changed my life forever. I didn't even yeah. think about it. I just said yes. And that's exactly the reality of the scene for any performer in that moment. Yeah. Oh, what an episode. <laughs> what a season yes. finale. Right. And thank you so much for bringing the life into this character of Shy Baldwin that informs and propels our central character of Midge Maisel into, you know, but every piece, every component has to be perfect. And you, my friend, fit the mold. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, coming from you um, and it's... Well, forget about that. Honestly and truly, for Amy and Dan to tell you first and foremost, you're perfect for this. Now go to wardrobe and get fitted. <laughs> and then be on, and then shoot in two days. And two days later, you're truncating a song that you memorized in whole. Mm. I mean, all of it. Thank you for sharing. I've got a couple more seasons of this to do. You're obviously a very big part of season three. So please come back. Absolutely, Doug. There. The, the celebration, the, the, the attention to detail, the, the love and the joyous which way how we share and break down. Oh, and what an episode, huh? Oh, thank you, Leroy McLean. And um, thank you, folks. Um, wowie zowie. I would love to hear from you about this particular episode as well as your experience with the podcast. Uh, write to me, please. My Mrs. Maiselpot at gmail.com. Big thanks to Leroy McLean. Um, a tremendous respect for his talent, his gift, and um, the time that he shared with me um, to, uh, to discuss season two finale. Uh, let's go to the old mailbag, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Come on. I've got it right here. Let's open it up. Ah, our email today comes from across the pond and a bit inland. Um, to, um, well, as Annie McDonald puts it in her subject line, a major fan of the show from Bonnie Scotland. If my, by the way, listeners, but also Annie, um, if I accidentally drift into, um, a, a Scottish accent and it'll be a horrible one. I want to apologize in advance. Uh, and he writes, hello, Kevin. I am such more than a fan of MMM. I love it and think it is one of the best things ever done, as do all my friends, and am now bereft of this world and all of the characters whom I felt part of their lives. A question for you as Moish and Michael as Joel. Why was Joel so sharp in his attitude to abandoning his marriage and Midge and his children? The last series appeared to reveal regret and pride for Midge. Um, 
series in all of the UK, including Scotland, meaning season over here in the States. She goes on. Uh, but it was hard to fathom why he was so defensive and angry. Enter Dr. Sigmund Freud. Was his relationship with Moish difficult due to a father who had built up a business the hard way and he had to prove himself? Was he pressured to marry too soon by Shirley? I don't know. It's just a question. Joel did come through in the end as regretful and happy for Midge. And so it's all right in the end. Oh, and, and more, I would add. Annie, spoiler alert. Genius each and every one of you. Do you think Amy and Daniel might want to adopt me? Even although I am 65. <laughs> I, was, I was Rhoda Morgenstern and an honorary Jew in my Irish-Scottish head. Miss you, but the podcast brings everything back. And in the words of our famous Scottish comedian, Billy Connolly, pure dead brilliant. If you ever come over, I'll be your guy. Yours, I, Annie. Um, thank you, Annie, for that. Dearly. Uh, and, and good job. You know, once again, the, the fans who write in, my at gmail.com, ask a question and then offer up their take on an answer. And in this case, I'm going to say yes. Those are contributing factors as well as the pride of American men in 1959 um, post-war was such that failure in the eyes of your family was unacceptable. But also Amy and Dan do uh, give the words to the character of Joel. At some point he does confess you know, you saw me bomb. You saw me be vulnerable than I was willing to be. And I can't ever forget that. Speaking of forgetting, least we forget, he's been having an affair. He's been having an affair with Penny Pan. And two kids young very strong wife trapped in a job he does not want. I think Amy and Dan created a world with which he could flee, from which he could flee. Um, and let's also not forget conflict drives our story as writers, and it's a great one. So all those contributing factors, I would say. Great question, Annie from Scotland. And uh, thank you for the uh, for the across the pond love. I will share it with the others. All right, closing up the mailbag, and um, that is episode number twenty of this here, my Mrs. Maisel Pod. Uh, yeah, continue to get the word out, folks. You know how these podcasts go. We depend on you, as I've uh, probably mentioned ad nauseum, but it is true. I need your help now more than ever. So rate, review, subscribe, and speak, talk, as, as uh, Annie suggested. Her, her friends can't, can't deal with the loss of the show. So we offer you this insider's look, and maybe it'll help um, with, the, with these troubled times. Uh, 
All right, that's our show. Until next time, this is your host, Kevin Pollock, saying I will see you all in my dreams. Mrs. Maisel Pod is brought to you by the fine folks at QCO. QCO. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know, I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear, that my Mrs. Maisel Pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators, Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us.